Welcome to the What Matters Most podcast, presented by First United Bank and Trust. That's my bank. Visit us today at mybank.com. Hello and welcome to What Matters Most, a podcast all about finances, community, savings, and security for you, your family, and your business. This podcast is brought to you by the helpful folks at my bank, First United Bank and Trust. I'm your host, Eric Nutter, and in today's episode, What Matters Most is our monthly economic update. And for this discussion, I am thankful to be joined once again, remotely today by Brad Bolliard, Portfolio Manager in First United's Wealth Management Department. Good morning, Brad. How are you doing today? Good morning, Eric. It's been I'm doing a, great. Yeah, great. It's been, a, it's been a little bit since you and I have gotten to talk, but it's that time of month again to kind of talk through what's going on in the, uh, in the, in the world of the markets and the positives and negatives. And I, I suspect you've got some things to tell us because if you listen to the news, there's a lot going on. <laughs> yes, there is a lot of volatility out there worldwide and, and, you know, whether you're looking at what's going on in Ukraine or in China or Iran, the Middle East, and how it all affects the energy um, that's supplied to Europe and the United States and a lot, a lot going on. And we're going to talk about it. And unfortunately, right now, this month, my negative side is a little longer and Get more a few extensive extra bullet than points. my... <laughs> yeah, a few more bullet points on the negatives. <laughs> okay. But I do have a little positive section here, too. There's a paragraph or two, so we'll go. (laughs) (laughs) I have one sentence of positives to share with everybody. All right. It's it's not quite that bad, but um, there's a lot to discuss, and we'll be happy to to let our listeners be informed. All right. Well, let's start off with those those negatives so we can get that out of the way and get to the positive stuff. Sure. Uh, One of the most important things that we always like like to talk about um, monetary policy mistakes. And what we'll do here, Eric, is go over some of our negatives and our positives and then see what kind of conclusions we can make and then draw draw any, uh, of course, draw any strategy for our clients' accounts that we can make based on on those uh, points. So I will start off with the monetary policy mistakes that we're seeing um, or that that could occur. Uh, We have talked for months about elevated Volatility being a recurring issue, as long as the market has uncertain is uncertain about how high interest rates are going. Um, higher than expected inflation reports in recent months have led to increased expectations around monetary policy, pressuring stocks, credit, and increasing the risk of recession in the U.S. It's the jump in interest rates and the resulting uncertainty about how high central banks will go that has unsettled markets. Headline CPI remains elevated relative to core producer prices and the market's benign expectations of future inflation. With an eye on current inflation and little weight on forecast inflation, the Fed is likely to continue its aggressive hiking campaign at least through early 2023. Mm. You know, significant and abrupt changes on monetary policy can have a dramatic impact not only on financial markets, but also economic activity. One really only has to look at the difficulties in the UK bond market in recent weeks um, to see the effects. The combination of a mishandled fiscal proposal along with an inflation fighting central bank has led to a crisis for UK pension plans. This crisis and concurrent turmoil in the bond markets has led to a dramatic intervention by the Bank of England and reluctant U-turn by the Prime Minister's office. While the UK pension market has unique characteristics, 
Um, they look at greater lev- they have greater leverage and use of derivatives than the U.S. Its negative reaction to the jump in interest rates can be interpreted interpreted as a warning sign. The sharp jump in global interest rates is already hurting economic activity as home prices are starting to fall and homeowners with variable rate mortgages, more prevalent outside the U.S., face higher monthly payments along with higher energy costs. I think mortgage rates right now, Eric, are going above 7%, and that's a lot of the talk with people looking to buy a new home right now. Possibly they're wanting to wait longer than what they thought. Central banks globally are hiking rates at an unprecedented pace, and expectations for future rate hikes have been revised dramatically higher. Both the European Central Bank and the U.S. Federal Reserve delivered 75 basis point rate hikes in September. The ECB is expected to raise rates another 75 basis points in October, and the Fed is likely to deliver 75 more basis points at its November meeting. I believe our Fed has raised rates so far this year at five different occasions. And um, at variable rate hikes that we've seen, I think back in March, it was 25 rate hikes. Uh, In May, 50. June, 75. July, 75. And September, 75. And looking at the Fed calendar, they're to meet again on November 1st and 2nd. And the Fed then will meet again with a summary of economic projections on December 13th and 14th. So let's go on now to um, jobless claims. Uh, the initial weekly jobless claims jumped by 29,000 to a five-week high of 219,000 the week ending October 1st. The number of people already collecting unemployment benefits, meanwhile, rose by 15,000 to 1.36 million. They remain near a 50-year low. Initial jobless claims, benefit claims, rose 9,000 to 228,000 the week ending October 8th. Claims have increased in three of the four last um, three of the four last four weeks. This is the highest level of claims since late August. The jump in claims was led by Florida, fresh from devastation caused by Hurricane Ian. Nationwide, the number of people already collecting jobless benefits rose by three thousand and one point three six eight million. Eric, hurricanes tend to add a you know economic growth over time. Stricken communities start to rebuild and. Boy, do they have a lot of rebuilding to do down there. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go ahead and talk about uh, inflation a little bit. After an extended period at the zero lower bound, the FOMC has raised the federal funds rate by 300 basis points this year in an attempt to bring persistently high inflation down. History tells us that we likely have further to go before the peak of the hiking cycle. Historically, the peak of the Fed hiking cycle does not occur unless the target Fed's fund range is above core inflation. And alternatively said, the Fed is likely to keep raising rates until the Fed funds rate is above zero. The real rate remains negative at an estimated negative 2.5%. With the market pricing in another 1.4% of hikes over the remainder of the year, inflation has further to fall before the Fed real Fed funds rate turns positive and the current six-month Fed funds forecast is in line with the market expectation of 5%. So just to summarize some of the numbers, recent inflation numbers, PCE inflation rose by 6.2% in August, while the July reading 6.4%. Core PCE inflation rose by 4.9% on a year-over-year basis in August, up from 4.7% in July. And core PCE surged by 0.6% for the month. That's a spike from July's revised 0%. 
All right, let's go on to GDP. The first revision, the second quarter GDP showed a 0.6% decline for the second quarter. That's better than the 0.9% decline posted in the advance report. For two straight quarterly GDP declines, the U.S. economy has met one of the official definitions of a recession. Um, you know, other things they look at is real personal income and the unemployment rates uh, that are critical in deciding whether we are in a recession or not. Yeah. So, so can we talk about that for a second? So, I'm curious because yeah. I'm sure a lot of people have have heard a lot of chatter either on the news or on social media that a recession is coming. And a lot of uh-huh. a lot of places say things like in the next six months, early 2023. But you're saying we've met a definition saying we're already in a recession now. What? Yeah. The, why? The why con- is that competing? Why? Yeah. The, the two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth are typically used as a shorthand definition for recession. Um, it's kind of like the old classical definition of a recession. But um, there are other things to consider um, that the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER, uh, they're actually the entity responsible for declaring recessions, Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, that uses They use several factors to determine when there is a recession. So really, if you're going to, um, you know, okay, are we in a recession or definition of recession or not? We, we look towards the National Bureau of Economic Research. Gotcha. And um, it's just one of several measures that they consider. So we're not in a recession until they tell us we are. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the news is the news, whether you're watching conservative news or mainstream news. Um, But measures such as real personal income and unemployment rates are are critical in deciding their decision also. Um, You know, the the average recession historically lasts about 17 months, according to them. Um, So they, they yet to formally declare a recession. It, feels like people have been talking about it for 17 months. <laughs> right. Yeah, it does. So, um, so let's go on to uh, the discussion of energy and oil, OPEC production cuts, what we, you've probably been seeing more recently mm-hmm. in the news. Uh, the Saudi Russian led cartel decided to reduce daily quotas, to 2 million barrels per day as it opposes attempt to hold prices down. Nearly $90 a barrel oil has jumped roughly 15% from its September 22nd low. Um, and you know, gas prices, energy prices, that affects the cost of everything. Whether you're buying eggs or milk, all that stuff has to be transported. Um, and of course, you've been probably seeing even more recently about how high it is, even in states like California. Yeah. Where they're seeing gas up to $7 per gallon. Um. Let's move on to some of the foreign aspects of things. China, um, of course, they given their zero COVID policy, so they supply, but they're looking at supply chain healing still. Um, that may be volatile. As only a few cases could continue to lead lockdowns of entire cities there. We also expect Chinese growth to continue to this point as the property sector struggles to hinder recovery. And of course, um, you know, the discrepancies with the with the independence of Taiwan. Uh, mortgage rates continue to surge higher. Uh, as we've touched on already, they're con- crossing 7% in 30-year fixed loans and market the biggest pace of increase since the early 1980s. Also, mortgage purchase applications slumped to a seven-year low, and home prices declined at their fast pace, fastest pace since 2009. 
Unlike the mid-2000s, however, too much supply isn't the issue as home inventories remain below January 2020 levels. Hmm. So that's where I want to summarize the negative points, Eric. So there are a few positive points that we could discuss. You know, I'm sure you probably could think of additional negatives, um, as we all could, as that's what's often uh, with the with the news, mainstream news, and uh, has a tendency to bring. But there are a lot of positives out there still. And one of the positive areas, of course, is jobs. The U.S. added 263,000 jobs in September, above expectations of 255,000 new jobs. The unemployment rate fell back to 3.5% from 3.7%. As the participation rate fell to 62.3% from 62.4%. That puts it back at pre-pandemic lows and marks one of the lowest rates since the late 1960s. Hmm. Yet the slowdown in hiring is not taking place fast enough to deter the Fed from rapidly raising interest rates to try to quench the worst outbreak of inflation in 40 years. Higher rates are expected to reduce economic growth and raise unemployment. Uh, I know locally, you know, it seems like people are still looking for laborers. Laborers um, still kind of one of the issues. I haven't really been hearing too much about the supply issue locally as I was, but um, it really kind of just depends what uh, sector you talk to. Yeah, I, I agree. It seems like um, it, it just became a thing that people said a lot, uh, which was, you know, nobody wants to work. No, there are no there's there's not enough people out there or there's not enough people willing to get a job. And then but then you see numbers like this and it kind of yeah uh, debates that. Yep. And, uh, you know, again, it just kind of look, you look it depends what sector you're kind of looking at, whether manufacturing services sector in those areas have right. been. But we're going to talk about that a little a little bit. Um, the supply management, manufacturing, and service indices maintain expansionary expansion territory. Actually, in the month of September, and we'll start with the manufacturing sector. They grew in September with the overall economy achieving a 28th consecutive month of growth. The index registered 50.9 percent in September. That's the lowest since May 2000. 20, but it's still in that growth area, Eric. And as we've discussed before, anything above a 50 is considered growth territory. If it's above 55, it's um, exceptional growth territory. Although in the manufacturing, we're not seeing quite as many numbers in the exceptional territory anymore, but they are still in the growth territory as long as those numbers are above 50%. So the the index registered 50.9% in September. New orders, 47.1%. Backlog orders, 50%. 0.9%, new export orders 47.8%, and unemployment 48.7%. Um, panelists continue to express unease about a softening economy here in this area as many are seeing reduced demand and high, higher inventories. Of the six biggest manufacturing industries, four uh, machinery, transportation equipment, food, beverage, and tobacco products, and computer electronic products, they registered moderate to strong growth in September. Month-over-month supplier delivery performance was the best since December 2018. Prices growth slowed notably for the third consecutive month, and lead times continued to ease for capital equipment and production materials. Markedly absent from the panelist comments was any large-scale mentioning of layoffs, and this indicates companies are confident of near-term demand. 
So primary goals are managing medium term headcounts and supply chain inventories. So even for those sectors where you know, maybe they're not quite hiring quite as much, they are keeping the employees they have and they're not looking to lay off. <laughs> right. Um, economic activity in the services sector grew in September for the 28th month in a row. The services index fell to 56.7%, but it's still in that expansion territory. So anything above 55 is considered expansion. So services doing very excellent in September, 56.7% from 56.9% August. Business activity, 59.1%. New orders, 60.6%. Backlog of orders, 52.5%. Equipment, 53%. And new export orders, 65.1%. They were all in expansion territory. Panelists seeing better demand and some relief from cost pressures for the first time in many months. But labor issues are still a problem. For, for the most, for most. All right, let's go on to earnings on the positive side. The um, third quarter 2022 year of blended earnings growth estimate is 2.8%. And so far for the third quarter, Eric, of the 45 companies in the S&P 500 that have reported earnings to date, and I just checked this yesterday, uh, for the second quarter, third quarter, 68.9% reported above analyst expectation. And this compares to a long-term average of 66%. So above expectations, higher than average, 68.9%. Um, the second quarter, the third quarter 2022 year-over-year -year blended revenue growth estimate is 9.7%. So we did have a few positive points to hit on mm -hmm. there, Eric. And even though we had a few more negatives, let's see if there's any really conclusions we can make before we get where we are in our strategy. Sure. So, you know, stocks, it was a bad year for stocks as mid-year turned worse in the third quarter. As of September 30th, the Dow Jones was down about not 20%, S&P about 25%, and the NASDAQ more than 30% so far in 2022. September was particularly nasty. Uh, with a 9.3% drop in the S&P 500. Well, the stock market is fundamentally, fundamentally more attractive now in January 2022. Persistent inflation and the outlook for higher rates challenges the market outlook in the intermediate term. In the darkest before the dawn category, the Fed is likely closer to the end than to the beginning of its right cycle. Um, there's no denying the markets are uh, an uncomfortable place to be these days. Global scale events, war, supply chain weakness. This is a situation that requires the sterner stuff of a long-term risk-adjusted investor. We can expect more discomfort in the months to come, and a recession remains a high possibility. But broad declines across the market inherently create opportunities for buyers um, to pick up high-quality investment at, dis at discounted prices. The bottom is uncertain, the unswing the upswing on the other side of recession historically tends to leave room for gain in the years that follow. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> the Federal Reserve that voted unanimously at their September meeting to lift interest rates by outsized 75 basis points for the third consecutive policy meeting, uh, signaling that the central bank was not yet done in its battle to contain and reverse the worst inflation in the U.S. economy in four decades. Chair Powell could have saved everyone a lot of time and a lot of trouble this week by simply stating to the podium and uttering the single word, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> you 
there were negligible changes in Wednesday's FOMC statement compared with the Fed's last meeting on July 27th. And Powell reiterated the uber hawkish tone he took during his short but impactful Jackson Hole keynote speech late last month. Until the recent June meeting, the Fed had not raised interest rates by 75 basis points in one meeting since 1994. And with the Fed's fund target range now at 3, uh, 3.25%, up from 0.25%, six months ago, the Fed has raised interest rates at its most rapid pace since Fed Chair Paul Volcker in the 1980s. But when the Fed raises rates, we start to see short-term rates rise. We are looking at a more flatter yield curve, but that yield curve is looking at rates in the short term, even one year, two year. You know, they're above 4%, Eric. Right. Um, and the 10-year, you go up a little longer, 4.2%, 4.3%. So rates are higher, and that creates a lot of opportunity for people to take low duration, low interest rate sensitivity um, investments, especially for new cash or any, you know, part of our strategy has been for quite a while has been uh, to invest in the short term um, area. And as those bond positions in the short term mature or are called or you have new cash and so on, um, that creates an opportunity to invest in these higher rates. You know, when the Fed raises rates, it's going to hurt some of the borrowing um, activity and cause some economic slowdown. But what it causes for the investors, some really amazing opportunities. We're seeing that with some of our corporate issues or agencies, um, CD rates, even in the short term, five years or less, are looking pretty amazing. And right now, if you're looking for income um, and higher rates, given quality pieces, uh, AAA, S&P, AAA, Moody issues, CDs that are FDIC insured, definitely the time to buy bonds, individual pieces especially. And we still offer um, investments in the short-term inflation-protected area, commodities, which have done very well earlier in the year have protected us against a lot of this downturn. So right now on equities, we are neutral to modest underweight, underweight broad equities are weight to neutral alternatives. Um, in the small mid cap area, we're targeting five to 10% of stock, depending on the objective. And we use approximately 24, 40% small cap balance and mid cap international. We're targeting five to 10% of stocks targeting 10 to 30% international position in emerging markets, depending on objective. Alternatives, we're targeting 3 to 10% of stocks focused on inflation hedge strategies, global infrastructure, global real estate commodities, natural resources and real estate. We are overweight healthcare and industrials and energy, equal weight communication, technology, financials, basic materials and utilities, and underweight consumer staples, real estate, consumer discretionary. On the fixed income side, we're neutral, focused on intermediate and short-term bonds for new cash, which is judicious use for stocks. Uh, purchasing corporates with a below triple B plus BAA1 rating. With specific, specific exceptions there, must be selective with munis, focusing on 10 plus year maturity, small exposure to tips is appropriate. High yield, a neutral level is appropriate there. It includes the floating rate exposure. Default risk has lessened in asset classes, making minor additions. Main exposure is floating rate due to expected raising rate environment. And cash, we are currently neutral to modest overweight. So, Based on all the negatives and positives we've hit, we've been able to make some conclusion there, Eric, and given uh, this situation, able to make uh, a current analysis on what, what current strategies we have for our clients. Excellent. So, Eric, it's very nice talking to you today and uh, very nice that we're able to offer this podcast to our clients and um, 
you know, if they want to reach out to us, as, as you often, often ask, how can they contact to us? You know, they can simply go to mybank.com and go to the, the tab for uh, wealth management. Um, and also, you know, contact their local First United Bank and Trust branch and ask to talk to a wealth management officer. And, and um, they will be able to be able to guide you in the right direction. Um, of course, just simply calling uh, First United General to the call center will be able to guide you to our wealth management department for any 401k rollover needs you may have or any trust or IRAs or agencies that you'd like to set up. And we'll be able to lead you in the right direction. Excellent. Well, and it's certainly a time uh, with all of the uncertainty in the world that, uh, you know, having having a support system in place, uh, a team like the Wealth Advisors at First United, that's it's really helpful to have somebody that you can call <clears throat> and, you know, speak with to kind of <laughs> talk you off a cliff if you are <laughs> near one. <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's helpful because, you know, oftentimes they, they have a, the bigger picture. And obviously with just the points that you've talked through here, you know, you're you're seeing things uh, you're looking at much more than just the the uh, headlines on the news. Um, and, and so it really uh, gives you a better picture of, of where to be and where to be investing. Um, so as Brad mentioned, if you have questions, uh, feel free to reach out. Visit mybank.com slash wealth. Uh, to get the support you need. Uh, Brad Ball, your portfolio manager in First United's Wealth Management Department. Brad, thank you again so much for uh, talking this month and uh, giving us an update on the economy. Yeah, definitely, Eric. Thank you very much. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. You can always find more episodes by visiting mybank.com slash podcast or find us on your favorite podcast app. You can also leave feedback, ask questions, or request a topic for us to discuss by sending an email to podcast at mybank.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next time with more helpful content. But until then, we wish you the best in focusing on what matters most to you. First United, my bank for life. This document is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from First United Bank and Trust or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and should not be relied upon in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, credit, and accounting implications and determine together with their own professional advisors if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All 
Information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results.